So for me, like that was comfortable for so long that it was really hard to like let go of rules around food. Like I just thought that when you eat, you create these rules around food for the betterment of your health, but it affects you so much mentally. And so I think like that my first experience with intuitive eating was really learning how to, how to let go. And that was a scary place to be. And, and what I realize now, I always say, if diet culture didn't exist, intuitive eating would just be called eating. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels. And I'm coming at you with an early morning intro recording. I'm going to share a funny little side note because I think some of you will get a kick out of it and will probably relate 110%. I like my voice, right? Like I'm a podcast host. I've gotten used to listening to my own voice. So I like it now. However, there is something to be said about that early morning voice or the voice at the end of a long day or when you're sick. Nothing serious sick-wise, just, you know, like sore throat, some sniffles. And your voice gets that deep, kind of gravelly, velvet tone. And I'm just like, mmm, yes. I don't know, is that weird? I just love my voice in those moments. That's why I love recording in early morning or late at night. Plus, I find my mind, my creative juices, my just like overall flow is so much better in the early morning hours or late at night hours. It just feels like I can truly concentrate and focus. But that aside, welcome to Let's Start the Podcast. (laughs) If you're new here, welcome, welcome. We are happy to have you. And if you're an OG, welcome back. Y'all know by now that, you know, this podcast is a place for all sorts of conversations. And I really just go with whatever's coming top of mind. But I'm so excited for today's episode in particular because A, I'm working through this exact topic, intuitive eating, right now in my own life. But B, there's been a lot in the media lately. I'm sure a lot of you saw the book that came out on intuitive fasting. I'm not going to go into that right now. This is not the place nor the time for it. However, I think that this conversation that I have with today's guest, Molly, is even more important now than ever before because there's so much coming at us, especially with summer coming up. And I just want to remind you at the end of the day that you are enough as you are. Don't know why I said that with such a robotic, like, spacing in between, but you are enough. We all are enough. And sure, is that cliche and cheesy? Yeah, but it's also, like, actually true. So keep that in mind. However, I am so excited for today's conversation with Molly of Balance by Molly I had her on the podcast in the way early days, way, way back when I was just such a baby, such a baby podcast host. And I thought it was about time we get her back on. She's really taken a shift in her own work and her own messaging, which I absolutely adore, as have I. So it really aligned with us both to collaborate again on this and bring you guys some fresh content. And oof, it's some good content at that as well. In this episode, we really dive into what intuitive eating is and how to start sorting through the noise of diet culture that might be influencing right now how you think or how you act around food or your body or exercise even. We dive into you know those feelings of guilt that can oftentimes come with food, once more even with body image or exercise, uh, different misconceptions about health, and just overcoming the over, like the struggles in recovery, right? So that you can find the freedom and find that intuitive nature with food. Molly works with others to just really help them find that freedom and heal their relationship to food. As we discuss in this episode, like food is such a normal, natural process of life, right? And yet, for so many of us that struggle with disordered eating or eating disorders, food becomes such a pain point, such a trigger point, right? Like we are exposed to it all day, every day. We're consuming it a lot of the times of the day. (laughs) And if you struggle with that, like 
no wonder, right? Like no wonder we all have so much added stress and spiked cortisol levels and we're constantly feeling, you know, like decision fatigue and everything, right? Like there's so much that goes into it. And I just love that her work centers around intuitive eating as the core of it, right? And the base, because learning to trust in yourself and your body again, I mean, what a gift, right? How many of us can say that we actually trust ourselves, our body to make food decisions with no bias of diet culture, right? I don't, I don't know how many of us could say that. And so, you know, this episode, her work, her content, any content you consume on this topic, it's to raise that self-awareness so that you can start to challenge your thoughts, so that you can start to trust yourself rather than relying on the noise and the guidance, false guidance that comes from diet culture and all the magazines and the media of what to do for quote unquote health. And overall, we just want this, we both want this episode to remind you and give you hope and just be that message of recovery is possible and living life free from disordered eating or from an eating disorder is a hundred percent worth the work. Molly has been there herself. She struggled with her own areas of eating disorders. I struggled with my own areas. You'll hear us discuss that in the episode And so coming from us to you, like, I just hope you see how true this is. Even if you don't identify with a full-blown eating disorder, disordered eating can be just as harmful. And that's something that so many more struggle with without even realizing. And so hopefully this episode brings some light to mind, gives you something to think about, ponder about. And as always, if you're ever just struggling with a thought, if you need someone to kind of like discuss this with because it can be scary if you've never admitted it out loud if you've never admitted it to yourself fully and so I understand that I've been there and so please know that you can always reach out there is nothing I love more than when one of you guys sends me a dm and just says just basically shares your story and then you always apologize and I'm like please don't apologize I ask you to do this on the podcast like I love connecting with you I want to hear your story because I think that when you share your story, when you share your struggles, what's in your mind, what's going on for you, like you're putting it out, you're releasing it in a sense, whether you're typing it out, writing it out or speaking it out, you're able to let part of it go in that moment. And that like starts the healing journey in my mind, right? Like you've got to admit it to yourself. You've got to maybe admit it. Maybe that means admitting it to someone else as well. And then you're able to grow from there. That builds the self-awareness. And so just know that I'm always here. I'm on Instagram at Emily Feichels, and I want to hear your story. I want to connect. Let's chat this out. And I'm sure Molly would be just as happy and or she does work with people, which you'll hear us discuss in this episode. So you can always reach out to her. She's on there at Balance by Molly. One of my favorite just like ED conscious accounts to follow. I absolutely fucking love her content and save nearly every other post as a little reminder to myself of hells yeah that be right (laughs) so definitely give her a follow or check out her page at balance by molly and i we both hope that you enjoy this episode let us know your thoughts share it with a friend and if you're feeling real thankful you can always leave a rate and review means oh so much to the show helps it grow helps others find it And that helps me get more and more guests on. So, you know, win-win situation. So without further ado, let's begin. Well, I guess then just sort of to like hop right into things um, as such a just like pivotal and crucial role in the entire realm of, you know, disordered eating and diet culture and such is the topic of intuitive eating. And it's something I'm currently working through so much myself and I just love the content you create and the experience you share with it so, so often. And so I'm just curious, like, when did you first become aware or interested in the entire concept and practice of intuitive eating? Yeah. So intuitive eating came into my life probably, gosh, I want to say probably like four years ago. I say right around the time um, when I started my health coaching practice, I when I graduated from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition with my certificate in health coaching, I really started just like a broad general nutrition practice in terms of helping women um, just really eat for themselves and really just listen to 
their bodies and what they really want to eat. But even within that, it was still kind of felt like it was in the realm of diet culture in a way, because a lot of women that I was working with were coming to me for, for weight loss. And I saw this pattern of just a lot of the women who had come to me to work on weight loss, they were operating from this place of guilt and shame around food and just feeling really anxious, having a lot of anxiety around food and obsessive food thoughts. And it happened just so often that I was like, what is, what is going, what is going on here? And I realized that there was such a disconnect with women in, in our relationship with food and intuitive eating. I actually learned about the concept probably, gosh, back in like 2009, when I traveled through Thailand with my boyfriend at the time, and we met this nutritionist from England, actually, who brought that term up, but I never really thought about it until and pursued it until I started my own nutrition practice and started to talk to all these women who just didn't have that great of a relationship with food. So I bought the book, which I recommend to anybody. Um, it's wonderful. It definitely still holds its place from being written in the 90s. And there has been a lot of updates to today. And I also bought the, the worksheet book as well. And I just started to go, go through it myself and, and take notes and really think not only how it applied to my clients, but also just how it applied to myself and my own relationship with food. And so that's kind of really where, where I dove in and I started to really just um, connect with it and take different bits and pieces from it and apply it to, to my own practice with my own clients. Mm, I love that, especially the last bit there, because it's just I mean, it's in the name, right? Intuitive eating. Yeah. Intuitive means something different for, you know, so like there can be the core concept of it, but you really do have to kind of find your own flow with it. And there are becoming more and more resources nowadays discussing it, whether it's podcasts or books or, you know, professionals in the field and to kind of find like what parts of it really resonate with you could be so beneficial. And, um, yeah, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, what was it like for you in the beginning of it all? Because, you know, you had that experience in 20, you know, 2009. Um, and then, you know, you kind of like got away from it. And then you started to see how your own clients and people in, you know, your world were struggling with uh, weight loss and diet culture and all that. And you found your way back towards, you know, intuitive eating. But when you really started to like, I guess, embrace that process for yourself, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was really hard at the beginning because the idea of intuitive eating can be a little scary because there's really no, no structure around it. And I'm putting my hands up in air quotes, right? Because when you, when you come from diet culture, when you come from dieting, um, I myself have been through both binge eating and orthorexia that I've overcome. And and within dieting, there's a lot of structure, right? You're either using an, an app or a guide or, or a book or something that's telling you how to eat every single day. And a lot of people find comfort in, in structure. I mean, I kind of equate it to like leaving when I left my, my corporate career in banking, there was so much structure in my everyday job. And then when I went off on my own to start my own practice, there was no structure. I felt this like totally untethered and like, I was free falling and kind of grasping for that, that structure that dictated most of my, my career. And it was kind of the same way with eating as well. Right. So, I mean, we have so much structure around food, even as children that we don't, that we don't really think about, right? Like when you're in school, the bell rings and those, that's your break. Like there's structured time for snack time, for nap time, for lunch time, right? Your parents coming home from a certain time for dinner, dinner's put on the table at a certain time. So when you're growing up, it's a very structured environment around food. And that really carries into an adult life of like when it's breakfast time, when it's lunch time, when it's dinner time. And even then, like now with diet culture, with like my fitness pal and whole 30. So it's like, you know, some, something like my, my fitness pal, which tracks calories or whole 30, which has a list of what you can eat and what you can't eat. It just like kind of simplifies it for people because they're like, okay, like this is really simple. I just enter into an app or I just look at a list. But what they're not realizing is that creates like extreme obsession um, around food. And so, and that can actually be really comfortable for some people. 
So for me, like that was comfortable for so long that it was really hard to like let go of rules around food. Like I just thought that when you eat, you create these rules around food for the betterment of your health, but it affects you so much mentally. And so I think like my first experience with intuitive eating was really learning how to, how to let go. And that was a scary place to be. And, and what I realize now, I always say, if diet culture didn't exist, intuitive eating would just be called eating, period. Oof, mic drop, because yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. the pure truth. Yeah. Um, and I really love what you, in the beginning there, correlating it to even childhood. And you take that a step further. I mean, I'd say for the most part as well, through childhood, even into our teenage years, like, we're told what to eat or we're given the food by school, um, by parents, et cetera. And so it's like almost, it is that sense of comfort where it's like, we want to be told like, this is what you eat. And that's what does. That's what like all the diet culture, everything does. It's, it's someone, a higher force, like telling you what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, like giving you portions to like, there's so much you could unpack there. And, um, so interesting, like when you dive into it that way too, but I think you're right. And I think a common theme that we do see in so much like disordered eating and diet culture and such is that just desire for control Mm -hmm. and comfort, whatever it is. And it's such a paradox though, because, you know, when you really start to work on recovery, um, even the beginning stages, you start to see how much those roles are reversed, you know, you're not, you're not actually gaining any control or comfort or I guess you could gain technical comfort per se, but the control, I mean, it's, it's really these diet cultures and the disordered eating and the habits and the thoughts controlling you. Yes. And um, I think intuitive eating is really undoing. It's just kind of like un, unraveling all the like sticky lines and, you know, everything that's yes. gotten messed up and jumbled in your mind totally. um, to find, yeah, that intuitive nature again. Um, but it's not easy. It takes a lot, I feel. No, it's, it's not easy. And there's so many nuances within it as well. That can be like really confusing when you're first learning about it and actually like totally confuses my clients all the time. Cause it works really well in the beginning, just to say, you know, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, especially because I want to get my clients back to a baseline of being able to listen to their hunger and listen to their fullness. And once you understand what that feels like for you individually, then you can start to take steps beyond that. And then I kind of dropped the bomb by saying like, intuitive eating isn't just about eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full, because that is actually has like an inherent privilege behind it, right? Mm -hmm. Intuitive eating isn't just about like eating what you feel like in the moment, because sometimes you don't have access to what you want in the moment, right? And sometimes you can eat when you're hungry because you don't have access to food, right? Or sometimes you, you overeat because you had a stressful day and you can't listen to your fullness cues and, and that's okay. It's okay to, sometimes they're going to undereat, Sometimes they're going to overeat. It really depends on, you know, what you have access to in that moment. And just like going back to, to eating as, as a, a real privilege and a real tool of like self-care for yourself and your body. Right. And also like even the enjoyment factor, you know, because like you said, like hung, like full and hungry aren't always going to be, you know, like, it's not like just setting those in as like another way to label or define, you know, these habits. And there'll be times where like, you're full, but you're celebrating somebody's birthday and you want cut, you want to enjoy the cupcakes or the cakes with them. Yeah. That's part of that intuitiveness too. But, you know, if someone's working in that stage or they're, you know, experimenting with this on their own, like, I guess, what advice do you give for people that do feel that shame or guilt around something like that? You know, where, whether it's, you know, overeating or they feel like they kind of took a step back in recovery, just this overarching theme of shame and guilt that so many feel in so many aspects of, you know, health, wellness, recovery, I guess, do you have any advice for those going through it? Yeah, I think like, I'm going to separate like shame and and guilt for that answer. So. For shame, I think that shame operates from a place of really just being, I I always say that like diet culture is the pool that we swim in every single day, meaning that there's so many messages that we are receiving from so many different places, from friends, from family, from social media, from books, from 
wherever, right? And we hear it every single day. How can we not be shamed for the way that we eat when everybody is telling us to do it in a different way, right? So, and I think even just beyond that, um, you know, feelings of shame come from an idea that you're doing something wrong, which means that at some point somebody told you something that you thought was right. And so when you're not doing it in that way, when it comes to eating, right? So if someone says like, oh, you know, you can only have gluten-free carbs or only one carb a day, or you have to fast until 11 a.m. or whatever it is. And then when you don't do it, right, you're like, God, I've done something wrong and I feel bad about it. Um, or when you overeat, feeling shameful about it as well. Um, and so it's coming like to, to climb out of that is operating from a place of just like giving yourself grace and giving yourself compassion. I, I don't think a lot of us really learn how to do that, right? Um, and so it's just kind of like a slow process of unwinding the shame part of it. And then the guilt really is layered on top of it um, from a place of morality and really labeling food, right? So the, the guilt comes from a place of um, saying unhealthy or healthy, or this was a good day of eating or a bad day of eating, or um, you know, a, a lot of recipes that say, here's a healthier version. Uh, I mean, it was Easter. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of posts that are like, here's a healthier version of a Cadbury cream egg or whatever it is. Um, and then if you're choosing to eat the regular kind, it's like, you feel guilty, right? Because it's like, oh, this is like the, un this is like the unhealthy version or have I done something bad because I've chosen to eat the one with, you know, real sugar. Um, we have a tendency to like be very moral with, with food um, and point fingers at like, what is a good day of eating and what is a bad day of eating or what is healthy and unhealthy. And I think unwinding just labels around food really helps with the guilt aspect, because once you start to really drop labels around food and realize that all foods fit and no food is really in more healthy than another food. And I can talk about that too, because people are like, how can you say that, that like kale is healthier than like a, you know, a bakery chocolate chip cookie. But once you start to let that go and realize that all foods exist in the same playing field without labels, then you can really drop the guilt around what you eat. Yeah, I'd love if you if you could go into that a bit more because you know we're we're talking about this, but it does take a lot. It is, you know, it's there's a lot of mental like thoughts and beliefs and everything to unpack when it comes to labels around food, body image, like everything in that sense. So if you could expand a bit more on, you know, the labeling as one thing is more healthy than the other, I think yeah. you do a great job of like on your feed, you know, you're always sh you're sharing all foods and I love the way you just describe them, you know, as these base foods. So yeah, any thoughts, exploration you have on that? I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So I'll start with like that, like healthier versions of, of foods. Right. So like, I mean, i I eat and I, I bake both with white flour and almond flour and I eat and bake both with um, white sugar and also coconut sugar, right? For me, like I enjoy all of them and I enjoy baking with both of them, but I don't think it has to be like one way or the other, right? So mm -hmm. the healthier part of it, I always say like, is when it becomes obsessive. So, and I'll just use an example just from my own experience. Like I used to only say, if I'm going to bake anything at home, I'm only going to do it with almond flour and coconut sugar. That's the only way that I will bake. And it was obsessive to, to the point where, um, I felt that guilt and shame, right. If I ate something that was baked with white flour or sugar. So it was say for healthier, right. So you ask the question, is it healthier to mentally obsess about the food that you're baking with for your sweets? Is it healthier to feel guilt and shame? after you finished eating it? Is it healthier to feel like you have to course crack the next day by working out more, or eating more greens, rather than just having a white flour and white sugar cookie, right? So, so that's like kind of thinking about healthier, like what is healthier, right? Between mm -hmm. those two choices. And then just on like the level of, I'll use the kale on the cookie example, right? So I would say food isn't healthy 
in and of itself, right? Like as a meal, we can talk about health, but as individual foods, I always talk about like what's nutritious. So kale is very, very nutritious. Definitely can argue that kale is more nutritious than a chocolate chip cookie, right? Mm -hmm. But kale isn't inherently healthier than a chocolate chip cookie because if you just ate kale all day, right? You wouldn't be able to survive. But guess what? People in Mesopotamia and back in the old days used to eat bread and survive on that alone, right? So kale is more nutritious, right? Bread is nutritious. Cookies have a little bit of nutrition in them, right? I mean, they are a macronutrient, carbohydrates, um, and give you really good quick energy. But when it comes down to the nutrient level, it's like, yeah, of course, kale is more nutritious, but who's to say that it's healthier, right? If you're obsessing mm -hmm. about that kale salad, right? Or you feel guilt and shame when you eat the chocolate chip cookie. So I kind of look at health on a more like holistic level, um, beyond the physical and in the mental, right? For obsessiveness or the emotional for the guilt and the shame with it. Yeah, no, I mean, there's such a distinction to be made between, yeah, I mean, like, sure, as we said, you know, kale is hailed as yeah. this, you know, the epitome yeah. of health. Totally. And yet, you know, A, we're all unique individuals. And for me personally, kale fucks me up on like oh, yeah. vegetable. So it's like, I'm not, you know what I mean? So it's like so hard to like, digest. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. And you know, versus a cookie or whatever it is. So a that, and then also, yeah, just like between that nutritious and the healthy and all the like labels and definitions for it. And, um, it just made me think also, like I loved, I had uh, Victoria Myers and RD on the podcast recently, and she was saying how, you know, so many people think of intuitive eating as just like, completely letting yourself go, you know, and you're just going to be eating everything. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, you're just going to gain weight, like all this stuff. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that. And this, what we're talking right now just makes me think of it in that way, where it is like some days, like you are choosing, you know, the kale or you're choosing like these different things that might be more nutritionally dense. And mm -hmm. then some days, like you are choosing the cookies or this or that, or the bread. And it's just like goes to show that there can be like a balance between them. You know, it's not saying like, don't eat kale and it's not saying don't eat the cookies or whatever it is. It's like finding that in between with them um, and finding like what's healthy for you, you in your mind in that moment, you know, like, totally. so I, I love what you said there about distinguishing, like, you know, the, the health of your mind and your mental health in those moments as well as just the physical food. Totally. And, and getting back to that word enjoyment that you brought up, right? Like mm -hmm. intuitive eating is getting back to the basic pleasure around food and enjoyment of food, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even, you know, going back to the childhood thing, or even from like infant stage, like we first learned about food in terms of like pleasure, right? Like being born as a child and those who, uh, I know that, you know, some babies don't breastfeed, but most of us who do like, that's, that's an attachment bond between you and, and your mother, right? That's like the first way that you're fed and nourish is like that pleasure of having that attachment with your mom. And we, and we lose that along the way. I mean, children are like the most intuitive eaters ever. If you've ever watched like a child eat, like I've watched kids eat and like, they have like one bite left on their plate. And I'm like, Oh, are you going to finish that? And they're like, no, I'm full. And I'm like, what? Like, there's just one bite. Like, yeah, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> it's like, you know, like they know, um, they're, they're pretty intuitive. And as adults, like we just get caught in like this, like so many mixed messages out there. And, and you're right. Like intuitive eating isn't just about like letting go and like going to town on like everything. Right. Like there is definitely like a honeymoon period that I see with intuitive eating with my clients. And I had it myself as well, where you're like, Oh my God, like all these foods that I had, like off limits for so long, I can finally have them. And I've, I've had like clients who, who go to like their favorite bake bakery or like buy something from childhood that they used to love. And they come back to me in a session. They're like, Oh my God, it wasn't even that good. Like I didn't even enjoy it, you know, or it's the opposite. We're like, Oh my God, that was the best thing. Like I had a client who had like a croissant recently and she hadn't had that in years. And she, and now she's just like, no, I get croissants every weekend. And it's like this thing I look forward to like this thing of enjoyment, you know, like it's very like this intuitive enjoyment for me that I get excited about like having that time for myself and my croissant, my latte. And, and I just love that. And I think that 
that fear of like losing control around food kind of like goes back to what we were saying earlier around like, because you have so much control around food right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, intuitive eating isn't a diet. It's not about losing weight. Like you, you start to intuitive eat, you're not really going to lose weight, gain weight, or your weight might stay the same. It might be one or all of them. Right. Because that's not what intuitive eating is about. It's not about your weight and it's not about dieting. It's not about like control of your weight. So if you're thinking about intuitive eating in hopes that you'll lose weight, like this is, that's, that's definitely not the path to go down um, because it's, it's not a diet at all. Right. And I think in that instance too, that is, um, you know, that takes some self-awareness there where if you're looking at it for a means to like lose weight, you know, like that leaves room for some deeper searching there, you know, like, yeah, kind of like, where's this mindset coming from? Are you looking for another diet subconsciously, you know? Yeah, um, totally. So there's so much more to unpack with that too. But I love what you mentioned there. And I want to dive into that a bit, because I think there is just so much. I know I personally felt this and I've talked with others, friends in this community, where there is just a lot of fear about, you know, just basically trusting yourself with food, you know, and I know you said you went through your own experience with binge eating, had multiple guests on as well. And I've experienced, you know, not binge disorder, but binge eating for certain myself in the recovery process. And I think, you know, that was one of my biggest fears. And it was something I really, you know, I did have my struggles with where it was like, once I did allow myself to have some of these foods, it was just hard at times to really find that balance between, you know, trusting myself around them, I guess, because Mm -hmm. they felt, you know, there's just moments where, I don't know, introducing those back into my life would feel so amazing, but also, you know, I did feel like the dam broke and I lost control. Yeah. So if, you know, if that is somebody and they want to, you know, like bring the croissants back into their life or the ice cream or whatever it is, but they really fear that experience coming. Like, do you have any just like advice, I suppose, from your own experience or just, you know, knowledge from the field that might help them? Yeah. I think that that feeling really comes from like, um, like there's two different mindsets here, right? So there's the Mm -hmm. mind, the mindset of restriction, which says that I'm going to allow myself or give myself permission to have these, these cookies or whatever it is that you don't haven't usually had. Right. So it's saying, I'm going to allow myself to have this, but it's only right now in this moment. So I'm going to have, you know, half the bag of these cookies rather than just one or two, because you're still operating from that place of like shame and guilt with food. And that shame and guilt says that, you know, tomorrow you're not going to have these cookies again. So have them now, right? Have, and usually like have them all right now. The opposite of that is what I call the mindset of abundance, which says that you can have cookies whenever you want them, right? So if you tell yourself that, you know, I'm only going to have two cookies now and put the box away, and then I can come back whenever I want and, and have them again. And what happens with that mindset, what I see with my clients is they actually start to forget about the box. They actually are like, oh, I forgot that I have cookies and now they've gone stale. but that's okay because like, well, my boyfriend or my husband will eat them or like I could just go out and buy more, right? Like I could just go and and get more. It's not like this big loss. Like I had this client of mine who got shipped like this special cake from this special bakery in LA or something. And at first she said like, oh, I feel like I have to eat like all this cake because it's only going to last for so long. And it's like this special cake, you know, that somebody sent me, um, and so I asked her, I'm like, oh, well, it's a bakery that lives, it's in LA. She goes, yeah. And, and I'm like, you live in LA. She goes, yeah, but you know, it's across town. It's kind of hard to get to. And I was like, yeah, but is that, is that really the reason why you wouldn't get it again? And she's like, well, because it's like really like high in sugar and it's like, it's like a butter cake something. And, you know, it's just better if I just have it, if I just have it now. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the diet mentality saying like, if I just allow myself to have it now, I won't want it later. Right. So kind of like that mindset of restriction where I'm like, you know, next time you're across town with a friend, like, you know, that you can just pick up a slice and like have it whenever you want, you know, um, or look up online, like how to make it like for yourself and just Mm -hmm. make it for some friends. And, you know, like it's this idea that 
food is always going to be there for you operating from that mindset of abundance rather than I have to have this now because I might not have or allow myself access to it again. And sometimes we do that without noticing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, those are the two things I feel like can really, really help in that situation. Yeah. I, I love that you shared that story because that was nearly my same experience with, with it all where, yeah, I would be mainly around desserts and I would just subconsciously have that belief of, you know, like this is the appropriate portion or serving size for cookies or brownies, cake, whatever it was. And I would eat that. And you know what? Sometimes you're just not satiated by that. But since I had that limitation, you know, I just like, wait, wait, wait. And then it'd become, you know, later that night and I would just, you know, go ham on it. I would go all in. And there's just something to be said though, about when you do start that mindset, that abundance mindset, like I know for me, it was just so comforting to know that like, okay, now if I still get hungry, I can go back for more. And doing that a few times where, you know, I'd have the, however many, you know, amount, and then I'd still be like hungry a little bit after. And I'd go and just let myself eat. And I felt, it was just funny. I remember I felt like I was like on my tiptoes. I was like, can I actually like have more, you know, like it was just such a weird weird thing to like allow myself that. And after doing that for a couple of times, it was like, I was able to, like you said, almost forget about the box or forget about yeah. the food, yeah. if, you know, and you just, you fall into that natural rhythm with it all, I suppose. Uh, and, you know, I love also with the whole cake story, just the idea once more, you know, that's why we see so much diet culture and so much struggle around holidays, you know, yeah. special events, right? Because yeah. that is, it's like a means, it's like the breeding ground for <laughs> whether you're restricting mm-hmm. before it, or it's just, you know, it's like it's just such a day where it's like, you allow yourself all of this, all of these things when in reality, like that can be your every day, you know, it doesn't have to be such totally. a momentous event that leads to so much, you know, confusion and such, but so I love that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we've talked about a few things in here in this res- retrospect, but I wanted to talk about some of these, you know, I guess you could call them misconceptions or just misguided health endeavors that we see in current society. And I'm sure these are things that you talk about with your clients as well. And I've seen you share them on IG, so I just love them. But, you know, whether that's something about like the ludicrousy of, you know, the 1200 calorie, you know, numbers, or whether it's, you know, like the certain clean quote unquote clean foods are marketed to, or the fitness pal, you know, like the tracking ideas, like, I guess if you would just want to pick one or two and dive into, you know, why you see these as such, just like a misconception and, you know, kind of like false lead to wellness in the community or with your clients, I'd love to just sort of discuss them a bit from your own, you know, experience. Yeah. And even like, it's funny because some of them like aren't false claims to per se, Mm -hmm. but they can be harmful to certain individuals, if that makes sense. I mean, that's definitely not the 1200, like 1200 calories. Gosh, like I did a post on Instagram about my fitness pal and I posted about like it, it telling me to eat 1500 calories. And I got so many comments where people were like, my fitness pal told me to eat 1200 calories. And someone said like 1100, 1100 or 1000 calories. And like, Oh my God, you know what I learned, um, getting, getting my certificate in nutrition was that that's like what a child needs, mm-hmm. right? Not, not an adult. And so I was like, what, like, how is this app actually telling this person to, to do this? Like it's, it's taking you away from actually listening to your body instead of listening to an app. Um, and yeah, my fitness problem, I, mean, I could go on and on and on about just how harmful that could be for women who struggle with their relationship with food. And that's really like kind of the asterisk I want to put on all of this is like a lot of this can be really harmful for those who struggle with their relationship with food. I talk a lot about intermittent fasting on my Instagram account as well. And I get, I get so many comments from the diet community coming at me saying that, you know, intermittent fasting is so good for your health. You know, each person is an individual and what they're missing is that my account is specifically for women who struggle with their relationship 
with food who have either ever overcome disordered eating or are falling into a pattern of disordered eating. And so going back to what I said about some of the health claims being true, doesn't mean that it's healthy for each individual, right? So mm-hmm. let's be like, oh, intermittent fasting is so great to balance your blood sugar. And it's really great to increase your metabolism. And it's like, that's great. But when you're recovering from disordered eating, like blood sugar and metabolism, not be damned, but there's a different way that you can get your metabolism back and a different way to balance your blood sugar than skipping a meal and restricting and obsessing about eating within a certain time window, right? So intermittent fastness is kind of like the perfect example of um, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Because of the fact that, that it's promoted at this really healthy thing for you, right? Intermittent fasting is so great. We're going to promote it as something that's really, really healthy for you. That's what the diet community is so good at. The diet community is so good at promoting ways of eating under the guise of health, right? When in reality, it can be very harmful to your relationship with food. You start to obsess about that that small window of eating, right? Maybe you can get enough food for you within that window, but that's very stressful, right? To try and do that. It's not going to be great for your social life at all when you're making plans, like, how are you going to go to brunch with your friends on the weekend? Um, And also just skipping a meal in the morning, like actually restricting. And yes, there's a lot of people who's like, oh, I don't feel, I don't feel restricted. And, you know, I see that side of it too. And I'm, and I'm not, I'm not here to like shame people for choosing what they believe is best for them. I'm again, like I'm here to help women who are struggling with their relationship with food and to overcome like diet culture and diet shaming. Um, so those are like two really big things for me. I feel like calorie counting and intermittent fasting, probably because they're like the two most popular ways of dieting now. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, paleo and whole 30 are, are still around. Um, and I have a lot to say on both of those as well, because there are people who say, oh, every time I do the whole 30, I feel so great. But there's also the side of it of women who do the whole 30 and that has led to disordered eating. So again, there's always like two sides to the coin on, on everything. And I think that really just comes back to really knowing yourself and like what works for you. And sometimes a lot of people don't myself included for a very long time because the diet industry and diet culture or even wellness culture told me the opposite for so long. And, and I listened to that versus listening to, to myself there. And I will, and I will add that, um, I did find an article, I think it was like last year, a couple of years ago, I should start sharing it again on my, on my Instagram, but, um, bread, the very first flatbread ever was discovered and dated back to the paleolithic era. So all you paleo people out there, (laughs) I think we should add flatbread to the paleo diet because it did exist back in the paleolithic era, which is what that diet is modeled around. Around. Oh yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Revolutionize it. Make yeah, it happen. Right. Start yes. a petition. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I just fully agreed. I love that you put the asterisk with it because it it is true. And I think what we can, you know, highlight and people can remember as well when they see any diet or, you know, such being promoted to them, whether it's, you know, calorie tracking or whole 30 or paleo or intermittent fasting, any of them that you could name, you know it is about like, you have to remember that this is such an individual approach to one thing. Like they, the people promoting it, the people sharing it, you know, does it seem realistic for you? Right. Because I feel like for instance, if you're, um, you know, a working mom with three kids and you have this, this, and that going on, and it's like to compare yourself to somebody that's doing a high maintenance diet, you know, and all these things and, Mm -hmm. you know, expecting results and then feeling the shame and the guilt and falling into the cycle with it all. Like, it's just so important to remember that with any of these things, I mean, as you said, it, it can work for some people. Um, but that's their own individual makeup. And also, you know, we don't know what they've sacrificed mental health wise to get to this point of what they call, you know, what they personally feel is health. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that's for me and 
I'm sure like you can account to this. I mean, we were talking about therapy before we started. Um, there gets to be the point where you really do have to consider, you know, it's not just the physical health when you ever you're embarking on a health journey, wellness, whatever it is. Um, there's so much mental and emotional that goes into it too. And I think that's what I really do, you know, enjoy about everything you share because, you know, and that's part of intuitive eating to the fullest too. Uh, like I just remember the one you shared a collection of like intuitive eats over the weekend. Right. And you were just saying, you know, there's like the physical health, there's the mental health, there's, there's like such a 360 approach to it. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to remember that when they're making these decisions, um, you know, or even who they're following, what information they're taking in, like, it's not just the physical, it's the mental side of things too. Yeah. It's, it's the physical, it's the mental, it's the emotional side of it too. I mean, food is really, is really emotional and that's not a bad thing. That can be a really good thing as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of like you said, in terms of celebrating things and eating cake past the point of fullness, because it tastes so good. Right. Um, versus suppressing your appetite and suppressing your hunger, which is really where, um, my fitness pal calorie counting and inter- intermittent fasting comes in. Right. I mean, gosh, I've been going over to the other from Instagram to like TikTok for me, it's been like just mind blowing. Like there's, I mean, I know they probably exist on Instagram as well, but just a lot of counts like that teach you how to suppress your appetite and how to suppress your hunger. Right. And it's like, drink water instead of eat, drink coffee instead of eat, drink sparkling water instead of eat, go work out instead of eat, go distract yourself instead of eat. And I'm just like, Oh, like that is absolutely insane. You know, like, I mean, that book intuitive fasting that kind of blew up like a storm around that, you know, the author of that book sells an appetite suppressant tea like that. I mean, I mean, you connect the dots on it. It's like, that is absolutely crazy that, that not only people who are not doctors on TikTok are telling you how to suppress your hunger, but then an actual MD doctor is teaching you how to suppress your hunger. And I say that for anyone who's listening, if you ever go to any doctor, right, that preaches weight loss, run in the other direction. <laughs> just get up and leave. And I've had that, I teach that to my clients too, in terms of like just weight shaming from doctors. Um, I had a, I had a little fall. I had a fall the other day. You can, you can see it on, on yeah. my forehead, but I had to go to the doctor to get it sutured up. And the first thing that you do when you walk in is they ask for your height and your weight. And I just kindly said, no, thank you. And that was that. And she didn't say anything. She just moved on and took my, took my blood pressure. And, you know, you don't, you don't have to be weighed when you go to a doctor, you don't have to be shamed by any doctor about your BMI or your weight. Um, you don't have to be told by a doctor that you need to lose weight. Like that is probably like the worst thing. I have a lot of clients who have been through that, who've been told by doctors to lose weight. And so the fact that there was like an intuitive fasting book that's out like better metabolism and you know, all that stuff. It's like, uh, it's like, we've come so far. And then I feel like we just take so many steps backwards and diet culture and wellness, the wellness industry, you know? So it's kind of like you said, like learning to big part of intuitive eating is learning to know yourself really well mm-hmm. and to know yourself best that you have autonomy over your body and what you believe is best for it. Right. So on my Instagram account, I'm never telling people how to eat. Right. I'm never shaming people for eating a certain way. I'm just trying to open your eyes a little bit. Right. Um, to make sure that you really are checking in with yourself and that that is really the right way of eating for you. You mentioned like the mom thing, you know, like I have a, a friend who's a mom and she's like, I just actually don't have time to eat breakfast in the morning. I'm having three cups of coffee and both of my kids are home now from school. And that's just what works for me as, as a mom. Is it the best way? Probably not, but that's just, I'm just surviving right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep my head above water. So I think like, like you said, everyone is different. Everybody has their own thing that, that works for them, but it's, it's really just taking a pause every once in a while and just kind of checking in with yourself to make sure that that physical and emotional and mental side of health 
are really connecting and are feeling balanced for you. Yeah. And I, I think when you do do that, it's, it becomes apparent that, you know, this idea of wellness is so much more than what a lot of us initially set out with, which is related to weight. You know, I think most people, it comes down to the number on the scale um, or being a certain clothing size, et cetera. But I think when you can reach that point where it starts to shift and become, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. That's when it becomes easier because some days a cookie feels better, you know, whatever, you know, et cetera. Everything we just discussed um, totally really encapsulates that mental, emotional, physical intertwining there. Yes. Um, so yeah, I love that. And also, yeah, anyone with the doctor thing, yeah, you, I, if, and if they insisting, you know, I, I know there's been times where I've had to be weighed for treat, you know, dosages, treatments, yes. prescriptions. You don't have to know, I, you know, you can turn your back to it. Yeah. And, the blind way. Yeah. You can do that too. There's, there's always a way, you know, you can find your way. You can, you can work through it. Um, I think like a last thing we could mention here is just to like question things, right? Um, always no, stay always, curious. Yes, stay curious, kids. Um, so I love that. And if you have any like last message you just want to share, um, go for it. And then just let people know where they can find you, connect, learn more. You're truly such a such a light in this space. So uh, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure just to come on here and and chat with you about such an important topic of intuitive eating I would say like just give yourself so much grace in terms of learning about intuitive eating because there is so many nuances in it and I think even within those it's individual for each person Um, and also that intuitive eating is not about doing something right or doing it well or perfectly doing it right so remember when you eat eating is not about perfection you you can't be like right there's not a right way of eating. There's only a way of eating that works for you. Um, so a lot of people, when they start the intuitive eating journey are, try, are coming from dieting where dieting is about doing it correctly. You either stay within 1200 calories or you have, I almost swore you messed up or you, you know, you're doing it wrong. So with intuitive eating, there is no right or wrong way of eating. Just eat, just make sure you're nourishing your body, right? The ultimate form of self-care is eating, not ignoring your hunger or suppressing your appetite. Um, you can find me over on Instagram at balanced by Molly and also at balancedbymolly.com. I have a lot of stuff there that I share as well on just different programs um, and eBooks and courses that I have on intuitive eating and just how to connect with your, your body and eat well. Um, So a lot of stuff there, just depending on where you are in your journey. Um, And if you're just trying to have a better relationship with food or you're coming out of recovery, um, whatever it is, I'm, I'm here to help you.